All right, take your Bible and turn to Philippians tonight. Good to see you. That was an old hymn, uh, Shall We Gather at the River? I uh, have a wonderful memory of that. When I was about nine years old, my great-grandmother died. That was my mother's grandmother. And we were in a little tiny town in Arkansas for her burial. I went to her home one time in Galleon, Ohio. And it's the first time I ever saw a chicken's head cut off. Where We went out in the backyard and she grabbed that chicken and put it up on a chopping block and, and took her little hatchet and cut that chicken head. How many of you have ever seen that? Some of you have. Most of you. And I'll tell you, kids, those of you that have your head, they really do run off like a chicken with its head cut off. I'd never seen that before. She was a sweet, godly lady that had a, a profound spiritual influence upon my mom. She did not grow up in a, in a Christian home, but her grandmother was a, was a godly lady, a Church of God woman, took her to church and so forth. And so uh, when she was at her funeral, at a, uh, a little funeral home <clears throat> there in I believe it was Searcy, Arkansas, close to that. <coughs> Excuse me. There were about 12 or 13 people in a choir sequestered up to the right. I can still see it in my mind. And I remember them singing that, that song, half of them off tune, but all with a very sincere heart. I'm not mocking them at all, just so you could get the picture, and, uh, but sing it very heartily unto the Lord. And just a, a wonderful memory. I always think about that when I hear that song. Well, I hope you found Philippians chapter 1. I want to help you tonight and uh, help you walk in adversity a little bit. And talk to you tonight again about joy in adversity. We learn a lot about joy in the book of Philippians. And I think that this, this will help you. Months ago, Jeremiah and his family came back from the Gulf Shores area and had a, a wild story to tell us. Of course, anywhere Jeremiah's at, there's going to be a wild story involved. And there was a, uh, a family that was there, and they had the uh, rough surf was up. I don't know if the red flag was up or not, but the surf was really bad that day, and they had riptides out. And there was a little girl. In fact, I called him last night to make sure I had the story correct. And she began to be pulled out into the riptide. And uh, people couldn't get to her. Her father was there. And Jeremiah said, we came upon this as it was happening. And they began to form a, a human chain. And uh, to grab each other's arms and extend out to the uh, gulf there. And he said, Dad, it was over, over 100 yards, if you can fashion that in your mind. Uh, well over 100 yards to where she was at, and she was going further out. Her father had tried to get out there and couldn't. Now he was at the end of the chain crying out for help for his daughter. And uh, suddenly, according to Jackie, Jeremiah just bolted from the crowd and came up and grabbed one of these little boards that kids have, you know, that they're just kind of in the waves with, just a little small board. And he said, hey, hey, can I borrow this from a kid? And he went out and got on top of the board 
and said, Daddy, it's, it's the hardest. I've swam in all my life because she didn't have a life jacket, and I knew she was going to drown. And I just went out there with that board as fast as I could. And he said, I, I got her, I put her on the board, and we began to come back in. And uh, he said her father uh, was thankful and so forth. But he said Jackie was crying because she thought I was going to drown. And he had a friend there with him. In fact, uh, Brian and his wife, they were at the couple's retreat, Jeremiah, and Jackie brought him. Uh, he was crying, and he said, I've never seen anything like that. It's unbelievable. So that night, he went out and bought Jeremiah this big shirt that said lifeguard on it and gave it to him. So anyhow, I told you that story to kind of preface some message tonight that uh, a lot of people are drowning in their suffering tonight, not from water, but from suffering. And what they're losing is not air, but they're losing their joy. And they're filled with despair. If it's not physical pain, it's emotional pain, it's stress. And when they get into the middle of that trial, they they don't know what to do. The Bible teaches that joy is to be the normal experience of our walk with the Lord. That we're supposed to have extreme joy. That doesn't mean we're silly. It doesn't mean that we have a plastic grin on our face. It just means we're, we're to have the joy of the Lord. We're to have a positive biblical outlook on life. But in the middle of a trial, how often, I can speak for myself and I think most of us, we begin to drown in our adversity and we lose our joy. Uh, what can we do in the middle of our trial to, to regain our joy and maintain that joy? Well, the big idea here in these verses we're going to read in just a moment is simply this, that if we're going to experience joy in trials, we must appropriate the resources that God has given to us. It's that simple. God knew that we're going to go through trouble. We live in a fallen world, a sinful world. And he says, I've given you some resources, some handles. And if you'll take advantage of these handles, then you can have joy. There's four of them. I've already given you two. I'll give you one tonight. In fact, I'm just going to give you half of the first one. And just focus on one line, one of the most profound things we'll ever learn as a Christian. Notice with me in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 19, if you would. For I know, for I know, that's the first resource, the blessing of certainty. The blessing of certainty. Paul had some assurance about some things. He didn't say, I hope so, he said, I know. I have assurance about this. You know, uh, adversity, especially severe problems, have a way of shaking you to your foundations. And you've got to have convictions, not just about your morality, but about who God is, about His sovereignty, about His purposes in your life, about His power. Because if you don't have this, if you don't have these convictions, if you don't have this assurance, you don't have this certainty as a resource that God gives to you, or that you can appropriate to your advantage so you can have joy, then you're not going to have joy. When you get in the middle of the storm, you may not conceive the way, but you better know that there's somebody that knows the way and know that. The blessing of certainty. And the second resource is given to us also in verse 19. He said, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation. This shall turn to my salvation. 
I, when I taught on this, I told you that there were several different perspectives and all of them could be right. Some people believe it's ultimate salvation. That he's talking about the rapture. Some people believe it's deliverance from prison, that he's going to get out of prison. I tend to believe uh, those may be right. I tend to believe what he's talking about, salvation, the word means deliverance. He means deliverance from his fears. So, well, Paul wasn't a fearful man. Oh, he wasn't. Well, I read the verse this morning. How many times when he's in prison in Ephesians and Colossians did he pray? And he said, he said, pray for me that I may have boldness. Pray for me. You know, he, he, he had this blessing of certainty and confidence, but sometimes you need the blessing of hope. The blessing of hope and just knowing that this is going to turn out all right. That God's going to deliver me and God can deliver me from uncertainty and anxiety and fear and worry. And he says here that he will use the prayers of the saints. And notice here in verse 19, I know that this shall turn. I like that. God, you're going to turn this thing around. And one of the things you're going to turn around is not the circumstances. You're going to turn me around. You may not change the, the circumstances, but you'll change me. And you'll do that through... Uh, the prayers of these people, my friends praying for me, and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the ministry of praying. Well, there's a third anchor, there's a third resource that God gives us, and this is one I give you the first part tonight. And this, this is so profound, this, this blessed me greatly, and that's a blessing of purpose. The blessing of purpose, it's a resource. You need all of these. I'm not going to give you the fourth one until later. But they're right here in the text. God says, if you want to have joy when you're drowning from suffering and sorrow, you're going to need some certainty. And you're going to need some hope. But you're also going to need some purpose. Now, there's a lot that's been written. And we say this to people. When they go through problems, we'll say, well, you know, there's a purpose in this. And people will tell us after they're kind of hit with it, well, I know that I'm going to be able to get through this because I know that God has a purpose in it. And here's the idea. That if you can see the purpose, you can endure the pain. Okay? That has some validity. During the Holocaust, there was a, a psychiatrist, a Jewish psychiatrist that was put in there. In, in the prison camps, uh, his wife was, and he were divided up. She was murdered in one of the ovens. He lost some of his family. His name was Victor Frankel. He wrote a book that has been, um, at least by the secular world, stated as one of the most important books ever written, called Man's Search for Meaning. And basically, being a psychiatrist, he did a study while he was in there, and it was on survival. Here's what Frankel did. He, he said, what's the difference in the people that survived the Holocaust and the people that didn't? Because there were some really sturdy-hearted people that went in there, but they didn't come out of those camps. Why did, why did some people come out of that, of, of situations that our minds cannot even go to, and others didn't? Well, basically, the idea was this, is that the survivors had meaning and purpose. That's the idea of the book. Man's Search for Meaning. I, I had a friend of mine who's gone through this horrible, horrible situation. 
he went to see a therapist, and the therapist said, if you're going to get through this, wasn't a Christian therapist, they said, if you're going to get through this, you're going to need some, some resources. I want you to read this book, and, and they gave him Frankel's book, Man's Search for Meaning. And he said, it was, it was a help to me, so I could see, okay, there's purpose in this, and this trial. Let me read to you just a sentence from Frankel's book that summarizes this matter of purpose. Here's what he said. He said, everything can be taken from a man. Remember the Holocaust. Everything can be taken from a man but one thing. The last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. To choose one's own way. And I emphasize that last. To choose one's own way. Now, I do think strength of purpose is is important. Um, And I think that even a a pagan, even a lost man, can endure some degree of pain and suffering with strength of purpose. But I know in my own life, some things I've gone through and I haven't gone through, but others have. Some of it, I'm just weaker than others, I suppose. And I've seen what other people have gone through. Listen carefully. That the pain can be so great, the suffering can become so heavy, and the question so deep that telling someone that there is a purpose isn't going to cut it. Or, or this, because I believe this, I have a conviction about this, and in a sense, I'm preaching on this, but this is not what I'm saying tonight. When I say the blessing of purpose to get you through this, this is not the purpose I'm talking about. When you're going through adversity or loss or something. To believe that God has a purpose. In those moments. Intellectually you believe that. But emotionally it's not going to get you through that. Now later on you can look back. As as that song goes. That was Peterson's favorite song he wrote. Jesus led me on the way, all the way. If God should let me there review the winding paths of which I knew, it would be proven clear and true that Jesus led me all the way. But even the writer wrote that in the future. Because I'm looking back. Because when you're in the middle of it, you can't see it. Now, the purpose I'm talking about is not just, yeah, there's a purpose. It's not just, you know... Having, as Frankel says, and there may be some value in this book. I've not read it. But it's not just as he says, well, you, you've got to have a purpose bigger than yourself. I believe those things. But what is specifically, what is the purpose? What is the singular purpose that is going to get you through? What is the resource? That's what we want to give a, a handle to. What is the resource, the purpose for your life that's going to get you through the worst things you can imagine. And I, I tell you, even this week, <clears throat> Paula came down stairs yesterday. And usually I'm studying, reviewing, writing, doing some stuff. And she could tell I, I wasn't. I guess I kind of had a look on my face. And she said, what, what are you, what's wrong? And I told her two things that, that was going on. And... Uh, and, you know, I just get stuck in these situations. You know, they're just, they just, they just happen to me. 
And what I'm preaching to you is not just, well, I need to give a sermon tonight. This is my life. If I didn't believe this, I wouldn't do what I do. I'm not talking about preaching. I'm talking about being a Christian. I, I have to do these things and, 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 and practice this. I'm so glad that we're going through this book. This has helped me so much. Resources God will give you so that you can have joy in your adversity. The blessing of purpose. What is his purpose? It's in verse 20 of Philippians 1. It may have an underline, but it's very powerful. Notice it. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed. We're, we're going to cover this later. But that with all boldness, as always, so now also. Here's the purpose. Christ shall be magnified. Christ shall be magnified. That's the purpose. That was Paul's life mission statement, that Christ will be magnified. When you get into trouble, when you go through loss, that's, that, that's the resource. Lord, I, I want you to be magnified. And I like the word magnified. We're going to use the word glorified here in a moment, but I think sometimes especially if you've been saved a long time, that we, we throw around words until they, they don't mean anything anymore. Like glorify God. And we don't even stop. Well, what does that mean? This morning I gave you a good definition of that. It means to, in one way, it's not the only definition, it means to give, when you do that, it gives people a high opinion of God, Matthew five sixteen. When you glorify God, it gives people a weighty opinion of God. I like that. But when you're in the middle of it, what does it mean when you magnify God? Because Paul was in prison. He was in less than advantageous circumstances. He was limited. And he said that Christ shall be magnified. Now, what is, what is your trial that's sapping it away from you, that, that's just draining you, that's drowning you, and you're losing joy? It may be so unique to you that you won't tell anybody because you think, well, that's, that's so petty, I don't want to tell anybody. Well, if it's real to you, it counts. I, I don't like to be around people that say, well, I know somebody else has had it worse than you. Well, you know what? It, it, pain is pain. Well, they may have it worse, but they, it still hurts them. If, if it's a hole in the boat, they may have a bigger hole in their boat, but they still have a hole in their boat. Uh, they're still losing joy. So, so what is the purpose it's that Christ shall be magnified. Now, the word magnified there, here's what it means. Now, listen. It means to declare something to be great. Here's what Paul is saying. I want to declare Christ to be great. Listen. It means to increase and enlarge, to extol and highly honor. Now, I'm going to put that together. In a simple statement, here is Paul's guiding purpose his mission for his life is to exalt to increase to enlarge to extol and to declare christ to be great that's what he said that was his purpose whether i'm on the top or i'm on the bottom whether i'm suffering or i'm, I'm comfortable i want to magnify jesus i, I don't want to i don't want to dissuade people from jesus i want to make jesus bigger in Ephesus, they were having a great revival in the book of Acts. When they described that revival, what does a revival look like? Well, there are a lot of 
expressions of it. Acts chapter 19 and verse 17 gives a description, one description of revival. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus and fear fell on them all in the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. That literally is the same Greek word. It's the same word. You, you know you're tight with the Lord when, when Christ's name is magnified. Now, I can't make him any bigger than he is. He's the creator of the universe. But to lost people that cannot see him or people that have lost their way, they've lost their perspective, I, I can exalt, I, I can lift up the name of Jesus, even in my own mind sometimes. It's one of the most important things you'll ever learn. Some of you have walked with God for a long time and you're saved. But you don't do this. You don't exalt Christ. You exalt yourself. When I was in Bible college, I, I heard a preacher that I really liked. His name was Jack Hudson. He's in heaven now. He's a wonderful preacher. He was a very compassionate man pastored in, in Charlotte, North Carolina for years. In fact, we had some members in our church years ago that, that were members of that church, and, and they came here. And uh, one of his, his statements that he made, I liked the statement. Uh, I borrowed it from him sometimes, and I, I would sign kids' uh, Bibles or something like that if it was a teenager. And he would say this. He would say, make much of Jesus. And Tim knows what I'm going to say. He certainly said, and make much of you. Make much of Jesus, and he will make much of you. Well, I kind of analyze things too much, you know. And I agree with the statement. If, if, if you can just handle the first part of the statement and forget the last part. You see, my flesh is attracted to the last part. Well, I'll make much of Jesus if he'll make much of me. And I think sometimes, and I still use this statement with a qualifier... But will I just make much of Jesus if I get cancer? Will I make much of Jesus if I get the echocardiogram muddy? And he says, man, you got the heart of a 150-year-old. Will I make much of Jesus if it's a miscarriage? Will I make much of Jesus if my, if my wife leaves? Will I make much of Jesus if whatever, if whatever? No, it's easy to make much of Jesus when you get the pay raise. That's why, and again, forgive me for riding this horse because I've said it so often, but boy, God sure is good. You know, God did this, and it's always something good for you. No, no, God's still good anyway. And if, 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 you, if you miss that, if you miss that, you're going to hit a storm one day, and you're going to become an embittered, angry person that's going to drop out of church. Because that becomes your definition of success. God's good when I'm comfortable. God's good when the test comes out good for me. God's good when the kids behave. God's good when my spouse didn't leave. No, God's good. And that's why Paul said here that one of the resources in joy, and sometimes you say it through tears, is that Christ shall be magnified. Now, how do you do this when my tendency is to seek the spotlight or to seek comfort? As I said, I, I don't want to do this sometimes. Lord, I, I need to be magnified. I need to be delivered from this. 
I, I took a pill a while ago um, because I don't do that often because of, of some pain that I have so that I could speak tonight. I, I don't think the Lord minds that. I don't do that very often, but I had to do that. Now, I wish that I, I wish I, I didn't do that. I wish that he would deliver me from that. But how, how, do you, how do you say well, Christ will be magnified in the middle of adversity? Well, look at the verse. Look at the phrase. Actually, it's in the middle of the verse. The end of the verse says, Christ shall be magnified. Now, let, let me help you. And, and, and that's all I want to do tonight. My heart wants to help you so much. If, if you feel like you, you have to do this, you won't be able to. I remember uh, when, when uh, my mother-in-law, my wife's mother, when she had cancer, she told me the other night, I think she found out this month in May, and she passed away in November. It was just very quick. And she was in Florida, Pensacola, and, uh, at the hospital just up the street from where Aubrey goes to school. Sacred Heart, is that the name of it? And then she came back home to Tennessee and passed away there. But I can remember we were in our home, and uh, you know we just had uh, two children. We may have had Ashley, I don't think so, but anyhow. But I remember the kids were little, and I was trying to help Paula through this, trying to shepherd her, trying to shepherd the shepherd, trying to shepherd his wife. And I remember we were in our kitchen on 612 Marguerite Drive. I said, Paula, um, um, how are you handling this? Well, I'm not doing well. I said, well, honey, and here's what I said. I said, have you been able to, have you been able to tell the Lord, thank you, not for what's going on, but thank you in it. And she looked at me with tears in her eyes. She said, that's my problem. That's my whole problem. I can't right now. I can't. And I didn't say, well, you ought to. Because all of us have been there. I can't. And that's what I'm telling you. There's going to be times when you can't do it. How do you do that when we either want to be magnified or there's sometimes maybe we don't want the... The spotlight, but we want to we want to magnify the Lord, but it's really hard because this is really hard to honor the Lord in this. When why would He permit this to happen? This will help you, okay? The Bible there says in Philippians one twenty, it says Christ shall be magnified. Now let me give you a lesson. In the Greek language, there are different voices. I had two years of it, and uh, I. I let me go on. That didn't impress you very much. And it shouldn't impress you very much. But I had two years of it. There were two, there, there's a passive voice. Here's what the passive voice means. It's exactly what it sounds like. When something is a passive verb, it means that it must be acted on by an outside influence. A passive verb cannot act on its own. Something else must give it assistance. When the Bible here says Christ shall be magnified, this is in the passive voice. And this is good. It means I can't do this on my own. There's going to be times when I need help doing this. I want to. I love him. I was listening to the radio coming in 
today and we sing that song, I love you, Lord. And they were singing, my Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. They sang all the verses they were singing on BBN. And I think, man, I sure do love that song. I love Jesus. And I love Jesus all the time. Sometimes I have questions for Jesus. For my friends, when I go to him, I'm not mad at him. I just say, I don't understand. And I need your help. And there's that passivity, if you will, where I'm just saying, would you help me? Because I'm not doing real good with this. And he says, yes, I will. And the Bible, the same passive voice is used in Ephesians 5. When it says to be filled with the Holy Spirit, it's the same thing. You're, you, you don't plead and pay the price. and it, It's just surrendering yourself. It, it's being, and God fills you with, He controls you. John chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, the Bible says, Jesus said, How be it when He, speaking of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth is come, He will guide you into all truth. Isn't that good? He will teach us. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, will not speak of Himself. You need to be careful of people having these experiences, these spiritual experiences. And they never talk about Jesus. They always talk about the Holy Spirit. When they had an experience with the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will not speak of Himself. He will exalt Christ. But whomsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. John Walford wrote a great book on prophecy about that based on this verse, things to come. John 16, 14, Jesus said of the Holy Spirit, He, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, Jesus Christ, period. He will magnify me. And the passive voice, when you just surrender yourself up to the Lord in the middle of these things, say, God, I can't do this. I'm tired. My mind is tired. My body's tired. I don't want to go on. I can't go on. I can't even focus. Then he comes in and you say, I know who you are. You know that I love you. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to carry me. And then he is honored through that. Years ago, maybe 20 years ago, maybe 25 years ago, 25 years ago, a long time ago, one of my favorite preachers named Sonny Holland preached here, a great evangelist from Clinton, Louisiana, outside of Baton Rouge. And uh, one of the finest Bible preachers I've ever heard, a great preacher. And he preached on Job's job. Job's job. I said over here, I thought, that's a clever title. But it was really good. Job's job. And he got in there in uh, Job chapter 1. And he said, how Satan came to the Lord and all of these things. And God said, have you considered my servant Job? So he said, yeah, you've you got a hedge about him. He says, yeah, but he's not serving me for what he can get out of it. Job loves me. Job trusts me. Satan so said, will you remove the hedge? We'll see. And Sonny said, Job's job was to prove to the devil that Job was not serving him for the benefits that Job was serving him because he loved Christ. Job lost his wealth, he lost his family, he lost his children, he lost his property. And in Job chapter 1, verses 20 through 22, the Bible says that Job arose. And he rent his mantle, he tore his, 
external of his clothes, if you will. He shaved his head, which was a sign of mourning. He fell upon the ground, and he worshipped. And Job said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed, blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Job honored the Lord. He glorified God. He magnified God. Then, Job lost his health. And uh, he was sitting out in an ash heap, scraping himself, just trying to find some relief. In Job chapter 2 and verse 10, he had a conversation with his wife. And she said, why don't you curse God and die? And Job said unto his wife, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we, shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. And then to let us know that uh, the Holy Spirit knew and to communicate that Job, the, the extreme of his suffering, in Job chapter 2 and verse 13, the Bible says he had three friends that really were helped to him when they just kept their mouth shut, but when they tried to counsel him, they messed it up. The Bible says they sat down, Job's friends, with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word unto him. Now watch this. For they saw that his grief was very great. They saw that his grief was very great. Then later on, after Job had suffered and had assimilated this, and he had his own questions for God. In Job chapter 13 and verse 15, he says this of the Lord, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Job's job, he did his job. Sonny's a great preacher. His wife died unexpectedly. She passed away in her sleep about six years ago. I called him and talked to him. He used to call me son. Well, son, I didn't know what was going to happen. And now Sonny Holland is laid aside in a nursing home in Baton Rouge, Louisiana with Alzheimer's. His son told me, Daddy has good days and he has bad days. Unless God intervenes, he'll never never stand in a pulpit again, never preach again. Having, having to rest and to practice the very thing he preached right here. But it's now it's Sonny's job. It's Sonny's job. And Job's job, Sonny's job is your job. To magnify Christ. Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 8. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory will I not give to another. I'm not going to share my glory. Don't try to exalt yourself. This is my glory, God says. Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 11. For mine own sake, even for mine own sake, will I do it. For how should my name be polluted, and I will not give my glory? He says again in another verse. 
I will not give my glory unto another. The purpose of your life. Paul said in Philippians 1.20. Always good times, bad times. It's to magnify God. Mary, the mother of Jesus, said to Elizabeth, her cousin, about being the mother of the Messiah. Luke chapter 1 and verse 46. My soul, my soul doth magnify the Lord. My soul magnifies God because it starts there. Psalm 35, 9 says, My soul shall be joyful in the Lord. My soul shall rejoice in thy salvation. You see, magnification and joy is a function of the spirit that happens in your soul. Don't let that throw you. It's not something you work up. It's it's something that God does in you in response to your spirit of who God is. And then it becomes an overflow. Psalm 103, verses 1 and 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless His name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. I think it's so overestimated, all of the, the things that are whipped up today in the name of worship. All the bands come through, and they, they have all of these perps, these big things. So we're going to have worship. Well, I, I had worship this morning. I'm not, I'll say more bad than I'm not against corporate worship. But corporate worship, if it's authentic, John chapter 4, is only as good as what's happened during the week in your private worship. My soul doth magnify the Lord. What happens when you're riding in the car? What stations are you listening to? Are you spending time with Christ? Because if those things aren't strong, when the suffering comes, you're not going to magnify Him. You're going to magnify yourself. God brings trials. Listen, God brings trials to humble us and break us and to wean us from self-exaltation to exalt Christ. And when He sees a proud man or proud woman Especially the higher up the ladder you are, the quicker he will bring judgment to you. There was a man named Nebuchadnezzar. You know this story, but I want you to see this. In Daniel chapter 4, notice in verse 28. I'm just going to read these without much commentary. It speaks for itself. All this came upon Nebuchadnezzar the king. At the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon, which is common Iraq now the king spake and said it's not now watch this this great this great Babylon that I have built in other words I'm great the house of the kingdom by the might of my power for the honor of my majesty in other words he's exalting himself while the word was in the king's mouth at that moment There fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from thee, and they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, which he did. And seven times or seven years shall pass over thee, until thou know, until thou know, until Nebuchadnezzar, you know, you've learned your lesson, that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. 
He was driven from man and did eat grass as oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hairs were grown like eagles' feathers and his nails like birds' claws. And at the end of the days, after these years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven. Mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed. Notice the change in his spirit and his soul. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him. Before it was about Nebuchadnezzar. Now he says, I praise and honor him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay or keep his hand or say unto him, that is God. What doest thou? Why are you doing this in my life? At the same time, my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned unto me. My counselors and my lords sought unto me. In other words, God gave him back his leadership. The kingdom was added unto me. Now watch this. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the kingdom of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways, judgment and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. God judges pride very quickly. The Bible says he did it as soon as it was in his mouth. King Herod was sitting upon his throne one day making a speech, and the people began to applaud and say, He's a God. Acts chapter 12, verse 21, And upon a day Herod arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. The people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately, the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory or the magnification, if you will. And he was eaten of worms. That's internal and over a period of days when you study this. And he gave up the ghost. God judges this in your life, in my life, quickly. That's why God gives us failure. He allows problems. He allows illness. Things to happen to us, to humble us because of our pride, our self-exaltation rather than magnifying God. Proverbs eleven two, when pride cometh, then cometh shame. Proverbs sixteen eight, pride goeth before destruction and in haughty spirit before fall. Proverbs 29, 23. A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Proverbs 18.12, before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, before honor is humility. James chapter 4 and verse 6, this is powerful, but God gives more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud. It's a military term. He stiff arms. It's one thing for it to be opposed by a human. God will resist us when we're proud. But when we're humble, He gives us His grace. Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 2, All these things hath mine hand made, and all those things hath been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor, and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. 
the purpose of my, of my personal life is that I would magnify the Lord. And then comes the corporate worship. Then you can worship corporately. Psalm 34, 2 and 3. My soul, this is a personal worship, shall make her boast in the Lord. Driving into church on a Sunday night by yourself, listening, singing, thinking. The humble shall hear and be glad. And then that flows over into corporate worship. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us, plural, let us exalt his name together. But this is not being whipped up. This is something that's born of humility. This is born of authenticity. This is born of magnification, not of self-exaltation. The issue is not the level of your pain, the level of your loss, the level of your suffering. The issue is whether or not Christ is being magnified. 2 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul said, Lest I should be exalted above measure, I have pride in my life through the abundance of the revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, and I can't explain or really show you how severe that is. That's not just this little tiny thorn. It literally means almost to be impaled by something. A thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to destroy me, to buffet me. It means to be in a fight and to be bruised. And he says again, lest I should be exalted above measure. God permitted this. The devil wanted to kill me with it. But God wanted to humble me with it. And for this thorn in the flesh, I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. And God said, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, now watch this. I will glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, that's physical sicknesses, reproaches, being mocked for your Christianity, necessities, lacking things that you need, persecutions, has the idea of being chased for your beliefs, and it distresses for Christ's sake. Distresses means it's a narrow way. You don't have any way to go. It's getting tight. For Christ's sake. You see, what was the worst thing that's ever happened to you could be the best thing if you will allow it to humble you and you will begin to exalt Christ. Say, God, I, I don't see everything in here, but I want to make you great. I want to make you great in my life. And rather than kicking and screaming about this, I want to yield to you. I'm finished. Let me just give you a verse. Jesus said there was one man that was the greatest man in the world. One man. It was his cousin, John the Baptist. There is no greater man. John the Baptist wrote this. It's one of my life verses. John the Baptist said of himself in John 3.30, He, speaking of God, He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, He must be magnified, but I must decrease. If you're going to experience joy, you must appropriate the resources, and one of those resources is the purpose of magnifying Jesus in your trial. If you don't, you're going to have a hard road to hope, I'm going to tell you. 
If you're a Christian and you've been really born again, because the thorns are coming. The thorn in the flesh is coming. Loss is coming. You live in a fallen world. Suffering is coming. Decay is coming. If you feel like you're drowning tonight, and the joy is just being slowly drifted out of you, magnify, magnify Him. Magnify Him. I thought of this verse coming in tonight. Psalm 22.3 O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. When you begin to praise Him, He begins to fill the room. He begins to fill your life. Thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our Heavenly Father, I just